So if God invested us with that faith, our responsibility is to emulate that in other people's lives. So how dare you diminish a person by saying that I'm defining my relationship to you by your political opinions when there's so much more about you that is worthy of love, that is worthy of respect. Because the truth is, is another point that God evaluates us the way we evaluate other people. That's scary, but it's true. If we look at other people and only look for the worst, then God's going to only look at the worst in us. So don't expect, you know, if you're Jewish to come to God in Yom Kippur and say, God, forgive me if we're not forgiving of other people. person actually make a difference in unifying the entire world? What are some tools I can use to live a life of more freedom? These are just some of the concepts you'll hear about in every episode of See One Beautiful Soul. Shalom friends, Shana Tova. It's almost the Jewish New Year over here in Los Angeles, 5783 turning into 5784. What is that? Look it up. That's the Hebrew New Year coming up in a couple of days. It's my favorite time of year. I love the autumn leaves. Of course, in Los Angeles, we don't get that many of them, but I like that the wind starts to change a little bit and kids are going back to school and there's just this newness, this freshness in the air. And us Jews, we celebrate humanity being born. That's Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve. According to Torah law, Judeo-Christian Islamic values, we started out as human beings 5,784 years ago. Now there were humanoids or human-like people that existed for 40,000 generations. We're not sure exactly how long they were, but we had Adam and Eve come on the scene uh, 5,784 years ago, and they were the first human becomings to look like humans, and they could make choices between good and bad, between better choices and not so great choices, and they could speak in these different ways that had shades of meaning that were different than other creatures on Earth. So I love celebrating that, don't you? And I also love all the holiday treats that we get around this time of year for Rosh Hashanah, like apples dipped in honey, and I make challah with my friends, and we bake and and pray over it, and I just went to this challah baking class with Suri, the challah lady, Jaraslowitz. I love this time in Elul, the month right before we go into Rosh Hashanah, because I feel so strongly that God is like right here, just closer than ever, and so On that note, I wanted to have somebody who emulates God, Rabbi Daniel Cohen. Now, if you've heard that name before on the podcast, you're not going crazy. I had a Danny Cohen in the first season of this podcast, my dear friend, Danny Cohen, who's hilarious. He's a comedian in New York City. But this is a rabbi, Daniel Cohen, who is in Stanford, Connecticut. And Blia and Hara, keep away the evil eye. This guy is just has such a zest for life. He really loves humankind and growing. When I say humankind, you'll you'll realize what I mean when you listen to him speak. He has so many stories of going out of his way to be kind to humanity, and humanity is kind to him. He's an author. I have two of his books, and I love them. I'll be talking to you about them at the end of this podcast. And he also has this wonderful course that he teaches called the Legacy Academy. You can go to rabbidanielcohen.com to learn more about it. I'll tell you more about that at the end of this episode. But I thought listening to him would be a great way to bring in the new year. Rabbi Cohen. Thank, you. Thank you for hosting. Thank you for being here. Your book is phenomenal. You're phenomenal. I can't wait to dive into what you do. But I've got to ask you this. How many Daniel Cohens are there in the world? Do you know? 
There's a lot. <laughs> um, funny story. When I was uh, going to Israel for my first trip, right before my bar mitzvah, um, I was stopped at the airport because there was a, uh, a Daniel Cohen who apparently was evading the army. And my mom looked at the person and said, this Daniel Cohen is only 12 or 13. He can't be the same guy. Of course it wasn't. Well, I happen to know two. One is Danny Cohen, who's already been on this podcast, who's an incredible human being and also an amazing comic. Also, my cousin, Danny Cohen. He's a star teacher. When I started this podcast, Rabbi Aaron, you know, David Aaron, you know him. He dared me to make a podcast about relationships. He said, all the people you date, you always tell me to call them, check in on them, make sure they're okay. You He's like, you take this so seriously. You, you care about cancel culture. And I said, wow, thank you so much. What a beautiful compliment. And then when my sister met you, she goes, I found somebody who does this like you. <laughs> I said, wait, what? And then of course, when I meet you and I'm hearing all your stories, I'm like, in no universe am I even close to you? I mean, I, I wish, I hope that I could even be close to the level of kindness that you do for strangers. But similar to you, my family, you probably get this all the time from your family. They're like, let's go. We got to go. I really treat everyone as though they are my family. And that's why it's called yep. Seeing One Beautiful Soul. And you do that. So I can't wait to dive in. What was it that got you to do that? If you could like pinpoint, if you took a deep breath and closed your eyes, like where does this feeling come from to want to treat every human being like they're related to you? Great question. Amazing what each one of us can do, like in the world that touches us. The concept of Rav Nachman of Breslov, that the day you're born is the day when God believes the world needs you. And if every day and in every encounter, we could be conscious to the fact that we're in this moment because God wanted us to be here, to be present with this other individual, this other soul, then there's some light that I need to ignite. And I have to be fully present for that person. And even in the most fleeting of encounters, I can create something that is unforgettable and make a difference in somebody's life. I would say, though, to your question that it was only... I don't know, maybe more than like in the last decade. You know, as you grow older, I've dived down deeper into the why of what I do. I'm always a very friendly guy. I mean, there's a funny story. And my parents were very much like this. When I was playing basketball, I played a lot of basketball in high school. And there was a fellow on the opposing team who fell down. And I went over to go help him. My coach said, that's the opposing team. Go, you got to go back and catch the ball. <laughs> my nature is just to like, you know, be there. As I've grown over the past, you know, 15, 20 years and dive down deeper into different Hasidic and Kabbalistic teachings, I've become more attuned to anticipating these moments because at the very end of our lives, which I always think is important to reflect on, the most haunting question that we will receive, which is a question that Rabbi Isaac Luria teaches, the great Kabbalist, did you heal in the world what you are meant to heal. Every day, there's something unique for you to accomplish that nobody else in the world can accomplish. And in, yes, we need to leave lives of, of honesty, of integrity, of, of faith. All these things are important, but every soul is truly unique. So I become more attuned to living life at a frequency where I try to be mindful that I need to engage and, and I need to connect. And as my mother, I mean, she lived her life this way. They just, someone described my mom, she was a stranger to no one. So I try to lead my life that way. It's beautiful. I have a cover photo on my Facebook, which says strangers are family too. Mm. You see them. Oh, I love that. My very first Instagram was called mindful Jewess. 
And I still put it up there. I haven't checked it in years. I thought, oh, that'll get traction. Everyone will want to come to my Instagram. It's like hundred people. And because I don't care if I get credit for it, but that is like my name. And I wrote that, I guess. But um, I just uh, created a musical. I wrote a show called Messianic Moments and Cosmic Conversations. And it just opened on Sunday. I'm doing it at a small theater in the Hollywood Fringe Festival. Somehow they let me in uh, mm-hmm. to this festival. It's amazing. And I want to show you something really cool. So I'm, I'm using the program as an opportunity to ask questions that I feel like could be in your next book. So like, yeah, the first question That's is... beautiful. I love human it. beings create or restore our faith? That's the only question that all eight characters in my show are asked. It's a one-woman show. I'm playing eight women between the ages of 18 and 88. There's a lot of eights because of infinity, present, past, future. And then... I asked the audience two extra questions. And the second one is, who is one person that you could forgive right now that might bring more peace into the world? Wow. And then the third one is, what is one way you could be more courageously truthful? I'm playing people from different faiths, backgrounds, uh, sexual orientations. I'm playing eight human beings that are sort of an amalgam of all the people I've, I've met on the street that helped me make my documentary. Wow. I actually lost a director because she wouldn't, put her name on the program. She said, I, I totally agree with everything you're doing. And I don't want to get canceled. So I was really nervous that if I did this show, people would hate me. They'd be mad at me for things that I said. It was like the opposite. I had all kinds of people in the audience and they all loved it. Apparently. I mean, unless they're lying to me, but they didn't find it offensive. So thank God. Um, Cause that's the last thing I want to do. But regardless, I think, you know, I'm kind of obsessed with the idea of, of talking to people about things that are hard to talk about. Mm-hmm because it could save a life. And I was curious, do you have any stories? This isn't saving a life, but like, it was interesting. So one of the most important values in life is growing and learning, right? Always trying to accomplish something and learn a little bit more. So within the Jewish faith, of course, is a concept called dafyomi, which is like this seven and a half year cycle, daily cycle of the Talmud, which is the Jewish repository of wisdom that was put together a couple thousand years ago. And there's a global initiative that was launched actually in Poland in the early part of the 20th century to motivate people, regardless of their background, to study one folio a day. It takes seven and a half years, and it's grown so exponentially that when they complete it, like I went to a celebration at MetLife Stadium with 80,000 people, and that's one of dozens of gatherings like that around the world. And it's a great way for people to tap into a daily rhythm of study. Just like you wouldn't go to work without brushing your teeth and eating breakfast, you study. Because study is there to bring us outside of ourselves and remind us that we don't only need to ask in the morning, what do I want? But really, what is what is the, what does God want of me? How can I be a better person? So there was a fellow in our community who at the first celebration when I was here, he thanked me. And I did for what? He said, well, when you first moved to the community, he said, are you learning on a daily basis? Are you trying to grow? And he said that question was the exact question that I needed to hear at that moment because I used to study and I got busy with family and work. And that was the spark that ignited my journey of studying every day for seven and a half years. Oftentimes, you know, the question we ask people, we become God's ambassadors to awaken them to self-reflection that they may not even know that's inside of them. Mm-hmm. What am I supposed to do? The world is going crazy. Like, how am I going to make a difference? That's a question that I get a lot. But do you realize that the small victories that you have in your life, the small acts of kindness, 
that's the way the world begins to change. Not by changing the world, but by changing the world of one person. And it's that shift that then makes them realize that the only way to make the world better is to look inside ourselves and say, what can we do? And that gives people a tremendous sense of of hope, of faith, of self-empowerment, that their life matters and that they have the capacity to make a difference. You know, people oftentimes say, yeah, but you're a rabbi. I said, it's not a matter of a rabbi. We all have a soul. And there's something unique inside of us that God is waiting for us to unleash to make a difference in the world. Beautiful. There have been times in my life where I was really low and there was a rabbi named Daniel, Rabbi Wolpe, actually. So it's David Wolpe's brother. He's a wonderful human being. And my mom was suicidal. My dad at the time was gone. He just was out to lunch and he had just left not too long ago. My whole family was in shards and shattered and you know, I remember Kathy was like also not doing well. And I ran to his office at the Hebrew school that I used to go to. He said, who are you? And I said, I'm here to see the head rabbi. I need to have a, an appointment with him immediately because I'm really not feeling well. And I, I don't know what else to do. He goes, what's your name? Like, why are you here? I said, I was here for a year when I was 11 and I dropped out of a Hebrew school dropout and you guys messed up. And this is a conservative synagogue. And he said, could you please come in my office? And I said, no. Why? You're the assistant rabbi. You know, talk That's about what you said to this is Rabbi Daniel Wolpe. Yeah. And he gave me the assignment of my life. First, he asked me, Why do you think you came back to Hebrew school to ask me this? And I said, I don't know, but I just want you to know you screwed up because I'm going to church with my friend now and they believe in God and we messed up. And you guys just should know that I'm going to become a Christian. That was like, I was trying. What? That's crazy. I was trying to get a rise because I was scared because I felt a sense of godliness at my friend's church. I didn't feel belonging. I felt scared, but I had such little Jewish education. I knew about Mel Brooks and bagels, but, and he said, he asked me two questions. The first one was, do you think it's that you don't believe in God or how could a loving God do this to my family? And I just bawled my eyes out. It was the first time I ever cried to a rabbi. I mean, I'm a crier, but I never had a relationship with a rabbi before. And he's handed me the book, The Empty Chair by Nachman of which is just like yeah. little lines of, yeah. you know, like a little gift book. It's like enough. It's like, yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. And uh, he said, I want you to read this tonight and I want you to go outside and talk to God like he's your best friend. And I yeah. said, what? Like, first of all, I'm not going to talk to God because it's not a he, it's not a father. And you said he. Yeah. So angry that there was father and king and there was no queen. And well, I wasn't looking strong enough. I mean, there's queen yeah. all over the Torah and there's 72 names for God. I just never heard of them. And they don't teach that at reform and conservative Hebrew school. And right. it was the nineties. So they definitely weren't saying sovereign yet and things like that. They were mm-hmm. still, still saying king and father. And I was mad at my dad, but I took his assignment. I said, well, I don't speak Hebrew. He goes, you don't need to speak Hebrew. Just talk from your heart. Like, go outside yeah. and talk. And I said, I don't have a Sidor. He goes, I, you don't need a Sidor. Just talk. And that night, I talked to God like God was my best friend. And I really believe he saved my life. Doesn't mean that I was, God forbid, in a bad way and I was going to harm myself. But right. that was the fork in the road. And that's kind of what led me to, he spoke to do, talking to God every day. And then eventually, yeah. by my but that was the, the intro. You're like that. And I go back to one thing you just said, which is... Mm-hmm. It's the small, intricate moments that can change 
the entire world. Everything's online today and people are leaving their houses less and less because of COVID. They're like, oh, I could do this all from line, right? When it comes to those little moments for someone who's in their house and maybe they just take a walk every day, they don't even go out anymore. What can somebody do today to literally change the world and why? couple of things. First of all, I think it's important to define the world because that's a very overwhelming topic. This is again, going back to Jewish mysticism, but the Hebrew word for world is olam and olam is related to the notion of hiddenness. So if you subscribe to the Jewish idea, which is, you know, I reflect on in the last book that I wrote, that God's light can be revealed anywhere, then the definition of the changing the world is not a macro one, but it's very micro. If you are walking, taking a walk outside your house, and there's somebody that passes by, there's a concept that we shouldn't allow another reflection of God's image to walk past us without first saying hello and recognizing the divinity within that person. Mm. And everyone can do that. You can do that at a supermarket. You can do that walking along the road, just saying, hello, good morning. How are you? And it's amazing because a smile is contagious, a warm hello lights up somebody. That's the way the world becomes smaller. That's also the way the world becomes filled with light. Because you can have two people that literally pass each other and feel alone. But the moment that somebody, and, and by the way, you can't wait for the other. Sometimes people will say, well, nobody said hello to me. I said, that's <laughs> you can't wait for you to be inspired. You have to find it from within. We're all a mobile mitzvah hotspot. A mitzvah is a kind deed, let's say in this case. If there's somebody within your eight feet or 10 feet orbit, God is saying, okay, do something. Connect with that person. Say hello to that person. So those are moments actually when we may uplift a person. That person then may receive a phone call, may go into their house, and they will feel a little bounce in their feet. They'll feel a little more of a, a reason to smile. And who knows, maybe now they'll interact kinder with somebody in their family. And they'll try to pay it forward with the kindness they receive from the stranger who passed them in the road. Believe, and I do, that any light that we ignite will be fueled by God in ways that we may never know. But our job is to light, light it up. God will handle the rest. These are all gems. Do you think in previous generation, because we had less looking at our phones, mm. computers and EMFs, frequency waves, all that, do you think that people were better at this? I think it was easier for people naturally to be present, let's say 30, 40 years ago than it is today. I think the distractions are very difficult for people to disconnect from and be fully present. That being said, the ability now to connect with so many more people and increase the light is infinitely deeper and broader than it ever was. Let's say 40 years ago, 50 years ago. Okay, I can be present at the table, which is great, more easily than now, because now I have to put a phone, I get distracted. At the same time, the only way for me to reach out to somebody before was to pick up a phone, hope they answer the phone call. It's got to be somebody who's not long distance. If I was on a friends and family for Sprint or MCI, maybe I'll call at this time. In a matter of one minute, if you're on WhatsApp right now, touch Five lives. You can take 15 seconds, okay? Four people. Just want to let you know I'm thinking about you. Can I help you in any way? Boom, it's out there. What if you did that like for one minute or two minutes or five minutes every day? Like, so I say, yeah, it is a challenge. But then rather than be overwhelmed by the challenge, how can we harness the gift of technology to really be even more impactful? So it's a combination of the two. It's putting this away when you're with somebody 
present and they have to be totally mindful. At the same time, it doesn't mean that we should disavow technology altogether. We can harness it in ways that people years ago could never even dream about. Right. But I think it goes back to what you said, which is learning and studying and growing and asking the right questions of yourself and having other being around people that will, will ask you those questions, you know, having a good community, a sense of physical community, like you're the, the first uh, congregant that, that you approached, right? He put yep. himself in a community where someone would ask him, are you learning? There needs to be a balance because if I, if, let's say I take two minutes every day and I send to five different people and I even have a list, like I'm very organized and send five people today and then a different alphabetical, you know, order tomorrow. <laughs> That's great. But what if the other 97% of my day is spent like on Twitter, YouTube, going through the algorithm and watching whatever they put in front of me? I think there is a balance. And that leads me to my next question, which is, there's a lot of talk today, a lot of noise about how wrong someone was. Make a fortune on TMZ, YouTube, the news casts about how wrong something somebody said was and the backlash from it, right? Mm -hmm. One of the reasons I wrote this show was to get people to start thinking about having hard conversations, cosmic conversations to create a messianic moment because everything's Mm -hmm. so messianic, right? We're in year 5783 in our Hebrew calendar. And we know because we've been learning, at least this is what I learned, that by the year 6,000, which is less than 300 years away, there's either going to be a Messiah, who knows what it's going to look like, but it's going to come because we either are being really kind to each other and we get the whole peace thing, or we're like killing each other so badly, God forbid, God forbid, God forbid, that there has to be some sort of coming of something, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Whether he's coming a second time or exactly. first time right, right. or it's a girl or it's a guy on a donkey or a whole group of people. There are some characteristics, 12 or 13, I'm not sure, but the person has to have, you know, according to Jews, hasn't happened yet, which is, it's all good. But regardless, we'd love to have that. We we sing songs, Mashiach. I'm not trying to necessarily say we are the Mashiach, but I am saying we have a piece of that to play, right? And we could potentially bring messianic moments, right? Peaceful moments in any moment. So because I look at you as like a very messianic moment creator, what is something we can do when someone posts or shares, did you see what that person did? And I don't even mean Lush and Hara, like speaking evil about someone we know. I mean, someone we don't know. I mean, a political pundit or a celebrity. When when there's a conversation going on, even about someone we don't know, did you, can you imagine that that person did that? What is something that you would like to do in order to create a messianic moment out of that every moment that we focus on saying things like what did that person do is a moment lost for us making the world a better place i don't engage in all this stuff because it's a waste of time like in other words, i don't i don't need to be on social media like going back and forth and back because first of all a lot of stuff is misinterpreted unless you're talking to somebody face to face. It's like you can spend 20 minutes typing this beautiful like response on social media. And then all one person will do is they'll like make some cynical or snide comment and it's gone. And then you like, okay. So a lot of times people complain about individuals who they think may have said certain stuff. And the truth, look, if it's somebody that you know, then contact that person directly and maybe say, you know what, is there a time we could, we could pick up the phone and talk about it. I rarely will have conversations that are meaningful on email at all. 
because it's it's like it takes a lot of time and it's easier just to to talk to the person. So that's one step. But if somebody says like, how can that person have said this? They're treating this person. They say, you know what? Well, okay, but let's pivot right now. What did you not like about what they did? And then how can you make the situation better? Better. Like, what can you do? I want to hear something constructive because I think we get definitely in this echo chamber of of diminishment of other this back and forth where oftentimes people are talking at each other. They're not talking to each other. It's just a big waste of time. I like to try to deflect it a little bit by saying, if you really don't like what that person did, why don't you call them on the phone and talk to them about it and have an open conversation. And even better if you can do it on Zoom so you can see each other's face. And if it's somebody that you just don't like a policy that they did or something that they said, then rather than throw more stones, find out what you can do to build and focus your energy there. I love that. It's energy wasted. It is. Hear people say, well, I don't talk to those people anymore because I saw who they were following. It's sad. It is sad. And I purposely try to follow people I really don't agree with because I'm curious to know what they think. Because if we lived in an echo chamber where it was just, I'm only going to follow this kind of person who votes this way or supports these people... And by the way, people change sometimes. They might have a complete epiphany. And when we put ourselves in this box of like, well, these are the only kinds of people I follow. I could never, I have friends who say to me, could you send me what they wrote? I'm afraid to follow them. That's crazy. I mean, the fact that we've gotten to a place where people can't separate, it's okay if somebody disagrees with you, but disagree agreeably, not disagreeably. And it doesn't mean we can't be friends with people that may have different opinions. I mean, definitely we become so polarized. And I like to think about it from a spiritual perspective. And this is something from another kind of Kabbalist who wrote hundreds of years ago. He said, think about it for a moment. No moment of, of health that we have is just uh, accidental. It's intentional. There are things that we may say that are counter to what we know are the right things to do. And we may do things with our limbs, or our hands that are, are counter. Nevertheless, imagine from God's perspective, God says, I am breathing life into this person, even though he's going to use the gift of the breath that I gave to say something negative. But God doesn't do that. There's an unconditional love and a sense that he is willing not to define us by everything that we do, but he tries to mine for the gold and not dig for the dirt or else none of us would be here today. Right. So if God invested us with that faith, Our responsibility is to emulate that in other people's lives. So how dare you diminish a person by Mm -hmm. saying that I'm defining my relationship to you by your political opinions when there's so much more about you that is worthy of love, that is worthy of respect? Because the truth is, there's another point that God evaluates us the way we evaluate other people. That's scary, but it's true. If we look at other people and only look for the worst, then God's going to only look at the worst in us. So don't expect, you know, if you're Jewish, to come to God in Yom Kippur and say, God, forgive me if we're not forgiving of other people. Beautiful. I'm really taken aback because there's been so many times where someone will say to me, I follow this person, so how can I follow this person? And lines up, and, and now I know exactly the kind of person they are. And it's funny because it's not funny. It's ironic because eventually if we keep going down that road, there will be no one left. There will be no speeching. There will be no 
teshuva, you know, in Hebrew, we have this concept that you can actually change the entire world by changing yourself. Yep. When, when you change yourself because you decide to change a habit, it actually, all those times you did it in the past, get erased upstairs. And we know this. We don't know. I believe this is true because I listen to people who study near-death <laughs> experience. Exactly. I had a Rebbitson, Nomi Freeman, who taught these incredible classes here in LA for a couple of years. And I would go to as many as I could. I just loved listening to her. She was obsessed with near-death experiences. She had interviewed like 200 people and they all had the same feeling, same reckoning when they would wake up and they would describe the same thing, depending on how long they were asleep or out of it for, they would say, I saw an angel. I saw a light. They would open a book and show me what I did wrong. And, and then they would show me where I, I had erased bad things and I remember when they would get to that level, I'd be like, well, how do I do that? And she's like, well, if you change one bad habit, it's like it didn't exist. Mm. And I'm a big fan of Rabbi Yisrael Salanter of the Muslim movement who says, if you right. can change one tiny habit in your whole life, it's like you learn the entire Torah, right? Yeah. There is none of that in modern society right now. It's all about what did you look like? What did you say? What's on your imprint? And can I pull up something from 1975? Crazy. And show the world what you really were like. So unforgiving. And I wonder if you have anything to say to that, because I wrote this show for 25-year-olds, for people who are young, that are just starting out in the adult world. And they're thinking, I can't change my brand. I can't change anything. This is, I, it's already out there, right? How do you give them their hope back? Because they are, they're losing it. Unless they came from a loving more observant or spiritual family where there was this concept, they don't have it. And sometimes even when they do have it, because we both know religious people that are completely upset because of they learned it and yet people still were nasty to them. And I think, again, it comes back to the notion of emulating God and reflecting God's light in the world and not getting caught in a place. And this is a, this is an idea of Ruff Cook, but you know, rather than lament the darkness increase the light. Every moment that somebody spends in a place of regret or negativity or feeling paralyzed is literally a moment lost to change ourselves and change the world around us. And I think that in every moment, the world is renewed. Nothing is, nothing is like the way there's always potential for new things for what's called in Hebrew chidush and for refreshing and revival there's a beautiful idea that I'd studied with one of my daughters that says, think of every moment as a moment in which God is reviving the dead. In other words, there's, there's something new. So just because, you know, this, this happened in your past or there's something that's out there. Yeah, but you are defined now by what you do in this moment. And you are defined now by what you do in the next moment and tomorrow and the day after. But right now, just try to choose life. I mean, one of the most inspiring messages that Moses gives the Jewish people before he dies is he says, every day I give before you the path of life or death, blessing and curse. And then he commands the Jewish people to choose life. And the question is, if somebody has a choice between life and death, of course they would choose life. Why does he command them to do it? The answer is that because sometimes we don't. We're so stuck that we're not choosing. We're allowing life to take us, to take us places without actually being intentional about really living, is that when God sees that we're choosing life, God will invest us with strength that we never felt possible. 
Isaiah says this in chapter 40, where he says, those of faith in God, their strength will be renewed. They will grow wings like eagles. They will run and not walk. They will never be tired or weary. So with God as your co-pilot, anything is possible. You have these incredible zingers at the end of everything you say. They're like perfect little sound bites. Did you plan that? It's talking from the heart. It's beautiful. Do you want to share one of your stories? I love the, my favorite story that you've told, and I've heard them a couple of times now, and I absolutely adore it's them, funny. is uh, when you were at the airport. I got a lot of airport stories. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I thought it was like your most profound one. I lost your wallet. Did oh, you yeah, not no, remember this good. one? This is like, when I think of you, I think of this story every time. No, I- you know, it's hilarious because after a while, sometimes I feel like I feel like I'm I'm, I'm a spiritual musician. Okay, I'm about to get up on the stage. Play the one play from the song. airport. This is kind of a, a beautiful story that happened, you know, at the airport a number of months ago. It speaks to the concept that God's light is everywhere and we can bring heaven down to earth in any moment. Rent, I rented a car down in Florida. I realized that I had to get gas before I returned the, the rental car. I took out my credit card for my wallet. I paid for the gas. And then I just put in my pocket, turn the rental car. And then I'm in the rental car bus going to the the airport. I realized as usually happens when I visit people in Florida is they always want to make sure that the rabbi is well-fed. That morning I had met some people and they gave me bottles of water and they gave me all this food. But I realized as I was getting off the rental car bus that this food is about to go into the garbage because, you know, they won't let you in with these bottles of water and this iced tea. So I said to myself, well, there's one person in the world that I can give this to right now. And it's the driver on the rental car bus. So before I left the bus, like I, I made eye contact with him and I said, here, why don't you take this? And he, he gave me a big smile. And rather than there be two anonymous people in that moment, I saw the face of God in another human being. He saw it in me as well. So I take, make my way off the bus And then all of a sudden he comes running after me and he said, you left your credit card. Because what happened was the credit card was no longer my wallet. It was like in my, in my pocket. And I guess it fell out. And I realized that God was really watching over me and it revealed this important truth because of this idea of one act of kindness. You never know where it's going to lead because had I not given him that food, he would have had no idea or may not have even have cared about going the extra moment to give me my credit card. Because I connected with him, he saw where I was sitting, he noticed me, and I noticed him. That act of kindness came back to help me just moments later. And it was like one act of kindness leading to another. I'll never see that guy again, but literally that How moment you know? of- Can you tell him your name? Maybe he'll follow you and come to one of your events. We always have these moments in Ubers or cabs. Do you engage? Or do you not engage? (laughs) So I engaged. And he started to tell me like about how he is a big believer in reading books as children. And he wants to always learn and grow. And and then I told him what I do. And then I gave him a copy of my book. And, you know, it's like, again, I don't know if I'll see him again, but he said, God, this is in Las Vegas. I never remember exactly where it was. Okay. I was in downtown Las Vegas going somewhere. And he said to me, God answered my prayers. I said, what do you mean? He said, right before I picked you up, I was feeling a little bit like down on myself. And I turned to God and I said, God, can you like help me out? Because he was feeling like the sense that he was stuck. Because you, then you walked into my car. And he said this to me like 15 minutes later, as I was about to leave the car, he says, you know, like you, you, God sent you to be in my car to help me at this moment in my life. 
I'm very teary because of two reasons. You said the word anonymous, and I guess maybe because I'm single at this moment and for a long time, and I live in a Jewish community where people are always saying, oh, I'm so sorry. Who do I know? Let's get you set up. And, you know, it's such a, it's so sad. You're not married yet. You're not, you don't have kids and you're such a great person. And there are many times where I feel like walking down the street and I'm seeing, you know, families and I feel anonymous sometimes, even though like, I also feel very big sometimes and bold and courageous. And I feel like I'm a light in the community. There was a couple of years ago, I was like kind of shunned from this, uh, I don't want to say where, but it was a, a community. I'll never forget, forget how harrowing that experience was, how, um, because I didn't have a family to come home to every day but my community was my family. And it was the first time, the only time, please God, that I felt so alone. Like I already feel alone, but that was like the worst. Yeah. And thank God my family and my rabbis in Israel and in New York and, and all around, they, they, they held me up, you know, through the phone. It was also COVID. It was like the worst possible thing that could have happened. And I was in this small sort of village of people who didn't really know me and they just thought the worst of me because of a sentence that I said and I remember thinking if I'm able to get through this and come back to who I am I'm going to teach people how important it is to be kind especially when someone is shunned or embarrassed or shamed because I am so not uh what they thought I was (laughs) and even if I were, let's say I meant what they thought I meant. Yep. You don't do that to a person. You definitely don't do that to a single person in a community. And because God put me through that experience, I can really help others now to not only see how important it is not to bystand when that happens, but I've always been like you. When I get in a cab, my family's like, come on already. And I'm like, no, I want to have my phone number. And, you know, and I, I just have always done that. And I think you know, well, Havdil, not to compare me to the Rebbe, but sometimes people will, I was learning with a, a Sefer with a rabbi around that time. And he said to me, you know, I get now how badly you want to have a family. Like it's even more so, but he said, yeah. just remember the, he's a Chabad rabbi. He's like, remember the Rebbe never had kids. He was, he found a soulmate, but he had lots of kids all around and you've taught so yeah. many students and, you know, so it is so important to find our family outside of our own family because you may be looking at someone who feels very low or doesn't have one or just lost somebody, or maybe they didn't have kids and they just lost their spouse, God forbid, or they're having a down day. But this whole idea, what you hit on rabbi is the anonymous feeling. And I think it's so it's more and more because of our technological age yeah. It's easy to spend a whole week and not hug another person or see another human being in the 3D. Um, lastly, let's just... Uh, by the way, you're a shining light. You should know that. Oh, by crying? No, you just are. You know, you have a lot to, you have a lot to offer. And God willing, you know, you'll continue to shine that light. But, but I really believe that. Um, and you'll find somebody to share it with, God willing, soon. Amen. That would be really cool. Thank yeah. You. Ah. 
<laughs> Amen. That was a beautiful blessing. See, that's what we do as Jews. We were constantly blessing each other. I remember yeah, when I first went true. to Israel and it was like everywhere I went, somebody would give me a blessing. I'm like, this is so cool. I, I feel like it's the, it's a bigger exchange than money. Yeah. <laughs> um, my last question to you is how do we become more like you? How do we find your books? How do we hear you talk? How can we learn with you? What's a, what's a way that we can have more Rabbi Daniel Cohen in our lives? Thank you very much for hosting me. It's a true pleasure. And God only will spend more time together. And if people want to learn more about what I do and I'll read the books, the best place is to go to my website, www.rabbidanielcohen.com. Oh, you got it. You got that website. I did. I did. I did get that one, actually, rabbidanielcohen.com. Um, so you can read books there. I also do a lot of speaking, but I also uh, run a program called the Soul Encounter and Mentor Program, where I work with people all over nationally to help them spiritually and serve as a mentor to them. And people can reach out to me about that. I also started something called the Legacy Academy, which is kind of a year-long uh, course based on my book to help people self-reflect on the principles there's worksheets, there's cohort conversations and mentorship as well. We have our first cohort and God willing, we're starting up again. Well, but anybody can reach me on the website and uh, look forward to finding ways to uh, reveal a lot of light with everyone in the world. Amen. When my sister told me that story, I heard it from her first. She said two things that you didn't say. Now she's an incredible storyteller that when the guy found you and you didn't touch on this today. So maybe you just left this out because you were, you know, conscious about time. He was stopping traffic and he got out of the car. He was like following you and, and honking and making a whole ruckus and ran. It was like a whole thing in my head when, when, when she said it, like I saw a movie, you know, like at the end, oh you know, planes, trains and automobiles or something, you know, like a big, big scene. Very often, let's say there was a train of people behind him trying to get to their next stop because it's the airport and we're all yeah. running late and yada, yada. Yeah. We never know why someone stops a bus to give something to somebody else. We, we might yeah. think they're just lazy or bored. And we, we're so quick to assume, right? This guy's not doing his job. Meanwhile, he may have been a, a minute later picking right. up his next group of people on the bus yeah, because true. he went out of his way to give you your My wallet yeah. or your credit card. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, um, it's funny now, funny, but I appreciate you reminding me of that story because part of my challenge is I think there's so many things that are going on just to pause and reflect on it and then remember. <laughs> so I'm glad we're documenting this. This is good. I told that story numerous times within about three to four week period. And then I have other stories. That come oh, and right. You have to make a script. That's how I created this show. I took a lot yeah. of different stories, uh, the podcast and the documentary, and I, I made eight characters out of them. I have so many things, as I'm sure you do, like that you think about doing. And I'm in the midst of a lot of them. I'm also writing another book now. So I have to write the sample chapter for that. So, and, and I'm running a large synagogue. So this is, this is my avocation right now, but I'm enjoying it a lot. You have so much light to share. And I want to give you a bracha that God continue to give you all the energy and the resources and the audiences that you need to shine your light. And thank you. So easy and joyful for you of a process. Amen. 
Thank you so much. I appreciate the time. I'm pretty sure that this episode has more notes on it than any other episode I've ever had. It's just a lot of things that Rabbi Daniel Cohen said I wanted to write down. So here we go. Nuggets of wisdom from this episode. It's a waste of time to talk about what someone did and how much of a terrible impact it made. You could have helped change the world a little bit during that time that you spent speaking gossip or complaining on Facebook or Instagram or somewhere else about somebody who did something that really like upset you. Instead, think about what they did and then find a way to counter it in the world by doing the opposite or something different that you would have liked to have seen them do. Be the change you want to see in this world. And if you're really upset by it and you can go back to the person to talk to them in real time, go and do that too. Get them on the phone or on Zoom, look at them in their face, see if you can do it right in person. If you don't like the policy they hold, instead of throwing more stones, what could you do to build from there? Quote, change the world, end quote, or olam in Hebrew is how we say the word world. World in Hebrew means hidden. God's light can be revealed anywhere, even when it's very micro. We should never allow a reflection of God's light to walk past us without acknowledging it. So if someone walks past you in the morning on your morning walk, say hello to them. And in the Talmud, it says, you should say hello first. So there've been people who actually fight over it. No, I'm going to say hello first. No, no, let me, you know, it's like that moment on the office when Dwight and Ed Helms's character, Andy Bernard are fighting and they, the note don't one up me. Don't one up my politeness. I love that episode. If you guys know what I'm talking about, if you don't, you can look it up on YouTube, look up Dwight and Andy fighting over politeness. It's so funny. And it, there are rabbis that actually argue over that. We're all a mobile mitzvah hotspot. That means we each have the ability to be a hotspot for God, to do a commandment first before someone else does it. We should be racing to do a commandment versus waiting for someone else to do it. I hope that makes sense. Believe that any light we ignite will be fueled by God in ways that we may never know, but our job is to light it up and God will handle the rest. Now, let me define that. Sometimes singles will come to me, especially single men, and they'll say, well, I can't even date right now because I don't have my ducks in a row. I, I, I can barely pay my rent and I want to provide for a family. So once I make, you know, six figures or seven figures, some of them say seven figures, I then I'll start dating. And I'm like, you could have had three kids by the time that you make seven figures. And by the way, it says in the Kabbalah that when a man goes out of his way to get married and be serious about dating, he will get rewarded with Parnassa, with money. So, and I think that's true for women too. In both cases, when we go out of our way to do something good for the right reasons, I believe that God does provide for us. Also with having children, don't wait until you have this really cushy lifestyle in order to have a kid. Sometimes you have the kid and you figure it out and you work it out. Small acts of kindness, that's how this world begins to change. It sounds really cliche, but when Rabbi Daniel Cohen says it, I believe it. We each can change the world by reflecting on our own actions and one action, one step at a time, one interaction at a time, it reverberates. God is waiting on us to make a difference in the world through our own life through the way we speak to each other, through the way that we listen to one another, through the way that we act for and with other people. The questions we ask people, we become ambassadors to God to awaken in them their own self-reflection. Now, does that mean you should walk over to people and say, what are you doing to make your life better? No, you can say it in a nice way, but maybe it comes from, how's your personal growth going? Or how's your spiritual growth going? And 
I would believe that nine times out of 10, people would love to talk about that. They just haven't had someone make a space for them to do it. But see what that question does for them. Whenever I see Rabbi Daniel Cohen, that's like the second or third thing he asks me. And I say second or third because he usually has a list of questions for me. He doesn't just, you know, say, hi, what's up? He asks me specific questions that get me to speak. It's, it's amazing. He's a really good conversationalist. Obviously, from this podcast is something that I really appreciate. The day that we're born is the day that God says, I need you here. Every day, there is something unique for you to accomplish that no one else can and heal that no one else can in the way that you could do it. Every soul is truly unique. Be mindful we need to connect and engage. Live life like you're a stranger to no one, like his mom did, like Rabbi Daniel Cohen's mom did. Even in the most fleeting of encounters, ask yourself, can I make a difference in this person's life? Like if you have two minutes on an elevator, talk to the person, ask them how their day is going, something they're looking forward to the why of what we do. Rev. Isaac Luria says, did you heal what you needed to heal in this world? Are you doing that right now? Is it okay to disagree with people? Rabbi Daniel Cohen believes that it is, and so do I. It's good to be friends with people with different opinions. Disagree agreeably, not for the sake of arguing. Disagree to learn something, not just to pick a fight and separate from them, or to feel that fire, that Ambition, the poet once talked about on my podcast, just because you love that feeling of arguing. Remember Ambition, the poet said, the day that I stopped being angry at my mom was the day that I actually became a bigger, better, happier person. You can check out that episode. 21. Rabbi Moshe Cordovero, the Kabbalist, said, think about it for a moment. No moment of health that we have is accidental. It's always intentional. There are things we say or do with our limbs that are counter to what we want to do. Nevertheless, imagine from God's perspective, God says, I'm breathing life into this person, even though he or she is using the gift of life that I gave them to do X, Y, or Z with it. It's not the best way to use the life that I gave them, but, but we never hear that kind of commentary. Thank God we don't get an accounting every single day, of, like a receipt of, I really approved of this. I didn't really approve of that. Sure, if we're awake, we might be able to see or feel or really tune into what feels like it's in our alignment, but it's unconditional love from God. And one of the most loving things that God does for us is not show us our scorecard, if you will, on how we're doing. There's a sense that God's willing not to define us by every single choice that we do here or what we say here, but He tries to mine for the gold and not dig for the dirt, or none of us would be here today. God invested in us and continues to invest in us with that responsibility. So how dare you or another person diminish a person down to just their political opinions or who they're following on Instagram or Facebook or what they say one time on Twitter or for someone else? Because there's so much about each of us that is worthy of respect. And one of the reasons I created this podcast is because I felt that p- people were becoming, are becoming so punitive and so judgmental when there's a lot more life, God willing, that we have to be living here. And we, we got to figure out a way to get along and emulate more of an unconditionally loving world. Now, am I say, saying through this, you should just give up on you know, any self-respect and take it when someone tries to abuse you in any way. No, not at all. But as I said, with 
Rabbi Mark Wilds a couple of episodes ago, there is just a little bit too much, in my opinion, judgment happening out there in the world and people are feeling bullied and hurt and they're feeling muzzled because they say they feel that every single thing they say or do that might be captured by a screenshot is going to be condemning them for the rest of their lives. And I could see why people are feeling so much more anxiety today than they were before, because it feels like there's so many eyes on us. Whereas in the past, yes, if someone made a huge mistake in their life, something they said or did, yes, of course, there were still feelings of anxiety and great depression. And sometimes people did horrible things in the name of those things, feeling so guilty and so shameful. But the shame factor, the guilt factor is up so high because there's so many more eyeballs in one second that can see it without any explanation or context. God evaluates us, or most people would say judges us, but I like the way he said evaluates us, on the way we evaluate others. If we say to God, hey, could you forgive me for that? Then how could we not allow other people to say it to us? We're living from what seems in a very unforgiving world. Emulating God and reflecting God's light in the world means, like Rav Cook says, rather than lament the darkness, increase the light. So don't waste time every day on talking about, complaining about all the negative things you're seeing in the world. Focus on the light. One conversation, one post, one email at a time. Any moment someone gets caught up in the negativity or regret or feeling paralyzed in a moment, lost, changes ourselves and the world around us. So even if you are a victim, like I once was, of feeling shamed publicly, allow yourself to come up from it. And instead of wasting time, and I can tell you I wasted a lot of time feeling sorry for myself, it is such a waste of time. Focus on the light, focus on the good, turn it around, make a podcast, write a one-woman show, do something with what you learn from it so that other people can benefit from the learning of it and move on and up. Just because you made a bad choice once in your past doesn't mean that you're defined by it. Right now, choose life, move on, a new moment, each moment. Moses said to the Jewish people in Egypt, every day I give before you the path of life or death, blessings or curses, and I command you to choose life. Now question, Rabbi Daniel Cohen poses, why did Moses have to command the Jewish people to choose life? Wouldn't we always choose life? Uh, Because often we don't do that. And we allow life to take us places without being intentional about really living. Have you heard this new thing? Intentional living, intentional. We've always had that, but we have to be commanded of it because it's so easy to forget, right? You want to eat those four eclairs on your plate because, you know, you're just going to enjoy life for a minute. But in the end, you're going to regret doing it, right? And the prophet Isaiah says, those who have faith in God, they will have faith renewed. Grow wings like eagles. They will run and not walk. They will never be tired or weary. With God as your co-pilot, anything is possible. And I said towards the end, which I thought was very fitting, Rabbi Daniel Cohen is teaching the antidote to that anonymous feeling that so many of us single people feel around the holidays every day. So if you want to feel less alone, less anonymous, join a community, join Rabbi Daniel Cohen's community, go to rabbidanielcohen.com and look on the upper right-hand corner. It should still be there. It's a button for the Legacy Academy, an ongoing course slash program that you can join. He also has sometimes these 
open houses online for it where you can kind of get a taste of what it is. You can always email him. He's very approachable. Everything's available on his website, including two of his books that I love so much. One of them is called What Will They Say About You When You Are Gone? Creating a Life of Legacy. You can check it out on Amazon. Another one is called The Secret of the Light. They're both excellent personal growth, inspiring, wonderful books that really make you think and really grow. I will be attaching all of his links to the show notes right here. So I hope you'll check that out and get in touch with him. And if you're in the New York area, remember that I'm going to be doing my show on Sunday, October 15th at 2 p.m. at the Theater Row Theater. You can pick up tickets at barbheller.com backslash solo show. And if you're in town in LA, you can check me out one last time, one last time over at the Studio Stage Theater on Thursday, September 21st at 7 p.m. Tickets also at the same link barbheller.com backslash solo show. And I just want to give a blessing to anyone who's still listening to this episode. If you got through the whole episode, thank you so much. May you have the best year yet. May it be filled with joy, great health, great success in all areas of your life. And may you continue to look for the light and find it everywhere you make space for it. If you know somebody with a great story about forgiveness, failure, or freedom, please share them with us. If you learned something new or feel like something from this episode can inspire someone else, please share the episode on your Facebook page or Instagram and tag that person and tag us too. You can find all of our social medias, drop us a note, or join our newsletter at www.c1beautifulsoul.com. Please don't forget to subscribe and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you hear podcasts. May we all choose to look for the light in ourselves and each other in all ways, always. always.